You are now about to witness the strength of Raider Nation. What's up, Raider Nation? Hello and welcome to this pod, New Era Nation, a podcast about the Oakland Raiders. Uh, but you know this already, man. And you know this, man! Last podcast, we had some technical issues, uh, mainly with the ambient sound, if you want to call it that. It sounded like I was recording uh, in a wind tunnel. So we got that issue fixed going forward. It uh, really wasn't my fault. I was, you know, trying to follow the instructions from the audio program. What is this, amateur hour? Uh, that's unnecessary right there. I guess it is kind of amateur. You know what? Shut the hell up. Yeah, anyway, so the, the sound quality was a big time issue. Sounded like I might as well have been in the back of a moving truck on a freeway recording. I had to get my technical producer on it. I don't know why that's funny. You act like I don't have a crack staff here. You think things like excellent, awesome show graphics and quality production just happen by themselves? No. And as you can see now, the issue's fixed. So moving forward, uh, things should be better. I've been saying that a lot. That's a big theme. Moving forward. And isn't it a lovely morning? Yeah, not lovely. You know, it's all right. Uh, it's better today. We'll see how it goes. Um, as you've noticed, I've added some clips and drops and effects to the, to the pod. Just to add some depth to it to enhance the pod a little bit. There will be plenty of moments to spew vitriol and venom and have Raider losses. But other than that, um, I like to try to get people laughing and keep the show a little funny. So the show will continue to evolve and improve. Much like our young Raiders football team will continue to evolve and improve. We as fans and... We in the nation, we just got to be patient. We've waited a long time, waited this long. Just got to be a little more patient. We're almost there. I feel we're, we're on the precipice of where we want to be. All right, let's get it cracking. Oh, a little correction from the last pod. Uh, it seems I'd said Reggie McKenzie had failed on 17 of the 21 draft picks, rounds one through five, uh, rounds one through four for five years. Reggie McKenzie actually hit on six of those draft picks instead of four. So six out of 21 instead of four out of 21. So that's only 15 misses out of 21 instead of 17. And that's much better. No, it's not. It's still horrendous. 15, 17, at that point, who cares? It's 15 and 17 failures. It's an embarrassment. I just had to make that correction get that out there the statistician came up to me uh, in a panic because all the social media outcry over getting that one wrong i'm joking there is no um statistician there's no response there is no team it's only me and uh i might as well be on the moon but let's get back to reggie i want to get into reggie a little bit and what he inherited when he got the job and in comparison to what mike mayock inherited which all leads us back to Al Davis's last draft, his last offseason. So let's get jump in the time machine and head on back to 2011. Oh, whoa, man. Is that that new iPhone 4SX7795? 
Yeah, bro. Oh, Raiders gonna be so good this year. We got Jamarcus Russell. We got Rolando McLean. We got Darius Hayward Bay. Wow, we're really that blind back then, putting our faith in those guys to turn the franchise around. Has anything really changed? Am I still putting faith in young talent that isn't that good just because I'm a biased Raider fan? Nah, probably not. So it's the 2011 preseason. The last taste of success for the Raiders was in the Gruden-Gannon era. And the last remnants of that have faded away eight years ago. And with the exception of Namdi Azamah, 2003 first-round pick, these drafts were very bad. They were horrific up until 2011. But from that point, from that point, let's focus on the previous four drafts. Let's start with the first-round picks on those from those drafts. Jamarcus Russell, Darren McFadden, Darius Hayward Bay, and Rolando McLean. Drafted in the following overall positions. Number one, number four, number seven, and number eight. These are spots where you get franchise cornerstones for your team, the future. Cornerstones are building blocks made of the strongest materials that carry your team. You know, made of iron or rock. These four cornerstones might as well have been made out of cow shit or sand. It was a joke. Tell me this is some kind of sick, tasteless joke. These imposters, at the slightest bit of pressure, would crumble like the forgeries they are. These four picks, or as I like to call them, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they would ravage the Raiders' future like scorched earth and send Raider fans screaming and crying in terror during their reign of uh, terror. And this was the future? And going a little deeper into those four drafts, what about the picks in those four drafts? Let's take a look at them just to get a better sense of the depth and what kind of team we're fielding. Okay, so in 2007, besides getting Jamarcus Russell, who, by the way, I mentioned he's out of football already by this time, uh, Zach Miller, who was okay, Quentin Moses, Mario Henderson, Johnny Lee Higgins, Michael Bush, John Bowie, Jay Richardson, Eric Frampton, Oren O'Neill, Jonathan Holland. In 2008, Tyvon Brantz, Armand Shields, Trevor Scott, Chaz Shillings. Five picks in that, in that draft. In 2009, Mike Mitchell, Matt Shaughnessy, Lewis Murphy, Slade Norris, good old Slade Norris, Stryker Sulak, and Brandon Myers. Stryker, Sulak, and Slade Norris. They sound like a tag team. Oh, remember when they beat that guy to death with a chair? Oh, Slade and Sulak. Okay, moving on. 2010, Lamar Houston, Jared Valdir, GM of the Washington Redskins, Bruce Campbell, Jacoby Ford, Walter McFadden, Travis Gothel, Jeremy Ware, and Stevie Brown. Absorb that. Absorb all of that. Does anyone know who any of these guys are? There's a couple names there. Those guys lasted on special teams for a few years, but come on. This, envision it. This is the team uh, heading into the 2011 draft. And going into that draft, they were already without a first-round pick. They traded it for Richard Seymour. Was Seymour worth the first-round pick? He's only gave the Raiders a couple years. But he was an instant leader 
and was there to embrace fans when Al Davis passed, which was huge. And with the recent draft history, uh, Seymour probably would have been no less than 7,000 times better than whoever they picked in the first round anyway. So in this special case, yes. So to that talent cesspool, 2011 they added Stefan Wisniewski, Demarcus Van Dyke, Joseph Barksdale, Chimdi Chekwa, Taiwan Jones, Denarius Moore, Richard Gordon, and David Osbury. Oh, and let's not forget Al Davis's one last dip into the supplemental draft, grabbing Terrell Pryor, his officially last draft pick. Now, it cost the Raiders a third-round pick in next year's draft, the 2012 draft. He had also traded a 2012 second-round pick to the Patriots for the, for the rights for the third and fourth round of the 2011 draft. And also traded the fourth round pick of the 2012 draft to the Washington Redskins for Jason Campbell. So keeping score on that, next year's draft, we have a first round pick, no second, no third, no fourth. And who you got leading this pathetic group? None other than head coach Hugh Jackson. And this is a product of Al Davis's, another element of Al Davis's management style. He runs a dictatorship. He doesn't. He's drafting who he wants. He's getting the players, and he tells the coach, "You put these guys on the field. They're great. You get them on the field." He doesn't work with the coach. The coach works for him. And the coach will do what he wants them to do. So this leads to him hiring a lot of retreads who don't deserve to be head coaches, and also every once in a while a young offensive mind. It sounds like he would have been good in these days. All these young offensive minds being hired. But he also suppresses those minds. He doesn't work with them. They, like I said, they work for him. So we get coaches like Joe Bugle, Mike White, uh, Art Shell 17 different times, uh, Norv Turner, Tom Cable, and Hugh Jackson. Oh, and can't forget the Lanester, Lane Kiffin. And the philosophy on the defensive side might be even worse. Al still ran a 4-3 press man coverage scheme no matter who the defensive coordinator was so we really got bad bad defensive coordinators like Chuck Bresnahan two different times Willie Shaw Jim Marshall Rob Ryan no not Rex Ryan Rob Ryan the one that looks like he's in a heavy metal band I can just imagine players were confused with him when they first saw him like hey um are we having a live hair metal band at practice today? No, that's a defensive coordinator. Oh, okay. He looks like he's there to give somebody a tattoo, you know? No, that's a defensive coordinator. Unfortunately, this dictatorship style has no place in today's game. Uh, Jerry Jones tried the same thing in between Jimmy Johnson and his son, Stephen Jones, taking over uh, with the same disastrous results. It has no place in today's game. The GM's got to work with the coach. That's all there is to it. Okay, so who's the D coordinator in 2011? Chuck Bresnahan. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. He's literally taking coaches out of the dumpster, washing them off, and throwing a headset on them. Okay, so now let's get back to the head coach in charge. Hugh Jackson. Does 1-31 ring a bell with anyone? Hugh Jackson. Oh, 1-31 Hugh Jackson. Out of 32 games, you won one. 
out of 32 games, you lost to 31. I really feel we need to put this in perspective. That's two years in the NFL, 31 losses, one win. Ladies and gentlemen, the record speaks for itself. Please welcome head coach Hugh Jackson. Before playing the Houston Texans, Al Davis would pass away, and Mark Davis would assume control with the help of Amy Trask. But it seems there's a power struggle for control with Al Davis's underlings, and even Hugh Davis got Hugh Davis. Hugh Jackson got involved in all of it. Then, halfway through the season, starting quarterback Jason Campbell goes down with a broken collarbone. He's going to be out the rest of the year. At this point in the season, the Raiders were surprising 7-3 and three against all calculations in the entire universe. So, in order to try to save a promising season, they came up with the idea to try to go after Carson Palmer. And they did, and it cost them a first pick in the upcoming draft and a second round pick in the following draft. The deal was made, more picks were stripped away, and the Raiders finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Hugh Jackson would proceed to throw his team under the bus, and then start puffing up, nutting up, throwing his weight around, acting like he was in charge, saying things like, I'm going to change things around here. Things are going to change around here. And this reminds me of the movie Goodfellas. You guys remember Tommy and how he ended? Tommy was a gangster on his way to be made, which was his lifelong dream. He'll be an official member of the family. What he doesn't realize is he's really on his way to his execution, not his coronation. Unfortunately, Tommy's the only one who doesn't know his own fate. When he arrives there, he realizes too late what's going on. Before he can finish the words, oh shit, the bullet is already exploding out of his skull, out of his forehead as he falls to the ground. This is what happened to Hugh Jackson. He thought he was going to be hired as coach and GM and given complete control. He was just awaiting his coronation. And instead of a coronation, it was an execution. When Reggie McKenzie was hired, Hugh Jackson was the first one on the chopping block. And the new era had begun. In the Raiders' whole existence, they'd only known Al Davis as a GM. Reggie McKenzie would be the first GM besides Al Davis to run the team. And what was he inheriting besides that young star-studded uh, team we talked about earlier? He was inheriting over-the-hill vets on super bloated contracts. He was inheriting a salary cap that was already $15 million over. And, of course, the stock of draft picks. He always got that to look forward to. Oh, yeah. That's uh, no first-round pick, no second-round pick, no third-round pick. No fourth round pick. Have a nice draft. They would gain a supplemental third round pick. Um, that's really that's at the end of the third round, so that's more like a fourth round pick. And Tony Bergstrom would be the first pick made. And roster trimming also happened, getting rid of overpriced picks at the cost of a tremendous amount of dead money, around fifty million for this year, for this two thousand twelve year and 50, around $50 million the following year as well. Say your cap's $120 million. Raiders are already behind the eight ball, um, limiting out at $70 million. And everyone else had $50 more million to work with. This is a sacrifice McKenzie had to make the first two years to get the salary cap back under control. This led to hiring players like Ron Bartell, Shantae Spencer, 
and Jason Hunter. Not Danielle Hunter. Not even Tori Hunter, that good baseball player that just retired. Shit, I'd even take Fred Dreyer as Hunter from that TV show. And like I said, the following year, he was already minus a second-round pick as well, um, which he managed to trade and, and get a second-round pick back. But he wasted it on Menelik Watson. So, you know, might as well not have had a pick. Didn't matter anyway. So that's Reggie McKenzie's first two years. I'm dealing with the depleted uh, draft stock and... 50 million salary cap dead money before he can even get started building the roster. He had to do two years of this. Now let's look at Mike Mayock and what he's inherited in his first two years. We are still in the throes of Mike Mayock's first two years. He has just completed the beginning of his first year. A nice salary cap situation with with cap space, flexible contracts, and the ability to tweak and add a couple players here and there if we wanted to. And a great draft situation. Three first-round picks and all picks rounds two through seven. And also inheriting a pretty good coach and coaching staff. No matter what you think about Gruden, uh, Dennis Allen couldn't carry his visor. And in one year, look at the difference. Mayock's been able to add, he's pretty much hit on all his picks. He's had a full complement of picks plus a couple extra first-rounders, and he looks like he's hit on all of them. He's been able to bring in quality free agents, which McKenzie was limited on both these fronts through no choice of his own. He couldn't bring in any quality free agents because he didn't have any salary cap space, and he didn't get a draft pick till the fourth round. So he was pretty handicapped in his first season to start. The Mayock era is already off to a much better start, and it shows with the personnel he's been able to put on the field. Actual talent. So I'm looking back, wondering why we're going through a second rebuild. When I'm looking at the Minnesota games, the game against the Vikings, the last time we played them, we were starting a rebuild, and they were kind of an up-and-coming contending team. And now, three years later, we play them again, and we are starting another rebuild while they are still that team in the middle of their contending run. This time around, it's a lot more encouraging. Um, it's almost a mirror. It's basically a mirror opposite of, of what Reggie McKenzie went through. Mike Mayock getting here, extra picks, nice salary cap situation uh, in his first two years. Reggie McKenzie and he got here, a terrifying, dreadful salary cap situation. And stripped down less picks than he should have had in his first two years so that's going to help the rebuild complete faster and when you're making good picks it's really going to help it complete faster like I said looking over Minnesota thinking about the last time the Raiders faced them and this time and the major differences between the team and they pretty much have the same team with their same coach so that's where it got me started, and it ended up taking me back to Al Davis's last draft. I will have a, a straight review on the Minnesota Vikings on the next pod. Um, this is just something. I'm, this is basically part two of the last pod uh, that ties into something deeper and a little bit of history um, with Al Davis's last, you know, a bit of major history with Al Davis's last draft. And so I'll put that. Uh, preview game preview pot out in a couple days um, that's all I got for today a new 
new contact information's up, new email address, Twitter handle, um, give me comments, whatever, any feedback, like I said, it's welcome, thank you uh, for listening once again, leave some comments, please, let me know how I'm doing, so that's it for today, um, keep it silver and black, only one nation, baby, let's go, we'll see you next time.